to my podcast. So I've actually recorded this episode before, but I have to edit the recorded episode. So instead of editing the recorded episode, I think I'll just re-record so I can try to get this out before the end of the year, which is a few hours away. So I did an episode earlier in the year about how I got a Chromebook. And I wanted that Chromebook, like a high-end Chromebook, but I wanted that Chromebook to be my main computer to replace all the other parts of the ecosystem at home, because I have a lot of operating systems that I use, but at home, I wanted Chrome OS to be my main OS. Now, in getting Chrome OS, I was delighted. It works very well, very stable, very solid, but there were a few things. So, at the time of purchase, uh, the main thing was that Chrome OS would not stream, or would not display encrypted streaming content, so DRM streaming content, licensed streaming content, on an external display. If you tried to do that, then it would output to standard rev resolution. So Widevine 3 versus Widevine 1, which is HD, HDR. It would play HD, HDR streaming content, Netflix and such, on itself, but it would not do it on external. Uh, thing number two was while I had access to all the games in the Android store, which is a lot, and some of them are really good, some of them are console-level games, and some of them are console games, I wanted to have the Chromebook be my main gaming machine at home, even beyond the PS4, because releases come out for the PS4 that I want seldom, and if I could use this laptop as a gaming machine, having it be more portable, that would be great. So, the thing that resolved that was the release of Steam for Chrome OS which started in alpha really early this year. It was supported on a limited number of devices. One of them was my device, the I'm sorry, the Acer Acer Asus Acer Spin 713 2021 SKU was one of the supported devices, but I didn't want to run its developer channel for the Steam for Chrome OS where it was at that point, and I didn't want to run that because that is completely unstable and that was not going to be my main machine or that was not going to be suitable for my main machine. So I waited until that hit beta. And when it hit the beta channel, I immediately installed Steam for Chrome OS, and I have been gaming with Steam for Chrome OS. Now, as I said, the Android store, the Play Store, has all kinds of games, thousands and thousands of games, and some of them are great. But the experience is usually pared down. Even if the graphics are great, the experience is... is it's meant to be played on a uh, touchscreen... Even though some of them support controllers or what have you, it's meant to be played on a touchscreen, so the timing for enemies is a little bit looser. Uh, it's meant to be easy enough that it keeps you engaged, but hard enough that you'll pay for extra stuff to help you get through the game. It's a different model of gaming, and I just wanted to play some old-school console games, and now I can. And I have to say, in beta, and I saw this switch happen really quickly, like when I first jumped into the beta mode, some of the games ran pretty well. Most everything ran. So native games ran at like 60 frames per second, 2K, which is the, the resolution of the laptop and on external display, 2K. And then some of the 7th gen games, because that's what I was downloading, 7th gen games, were running at like 30 to 45 frames per second at 720p. Some of them could do a little bit higher, like 900p at 30 to 45 frames per second. But then an update hit, and after that update, I can play way more games at 1080p at 30 to 60 frames per second. The big one 
in testing, and I've tested a lot because of Steam sales. I've, I've purchased so many games in the last, I don't know, month. But the surprising one was DMC, which was Team, or was it Ninja Theory? Ninja Theory's Devil May Cry remake from 2014, I think it was released for the PC. That runs at 2K with all the effects turned up to high, and it gets from some somewhere between 35 and 60 frames per second. Really impressed. Like, it's not a, a taxing game. I have been playing some more taxing games, like Crisis 2. Uh, after the update, because before the update it did not run that well, but I was still playing it. But after the update, like 900p at 30 to 50 frames per second. That's the big thing that I've noticed so far is that uh, for PC games, there's no option to cap the frame rate. Because I would cap it all at 30 if I could, and then just play everything at 1080p. But that's not an option. But uh, yeah, Crisis 2 after the update runs great. It's still got that fluctuating frame rate, frame pacing's funky, but uh, yeah, it runs much better. Uh, another thing I've been playing is the Halo Championship Collection, or the Halo, Halo Anniversary Collection. Uh, whatever the collection is with all of the, the Halo games from the 7th Gen back. And that runs at like a console level. You If you set the effects to the console level, turn on AA, maybe boost the detail a little bit, then you'll get somewhere between 30 and 40 frames per second. It's actually, actually, it's not even that. It's like 25 to 40 frames per second. It's still playable. I'm enjoying that experience. But, uh, man, those games must have been pushing the hardware hard because, yeah, playable. But some of these other games, that are, I feel like they're pushing the hardware even harder, run better. It is what it is. Uh, so the things that run at 60 frames per second uh, with all the effects turned up, we have all the Source Engine games, so Portal and Portal 2, which I had never played, super sharp, super smooth. Half-Life 2 Episode 2 runs like a charm. I feel like that's probably not as as image-heavy as Portal is, but I guess Portal's an inside, enclosed area that it's representing, so uh, they both look great. And so many other games I've played. Um, Darksiders 2... Uh, Pac-Man CE, which is not a, a system pusher, but it's just a charming game that I I knew about, but I'd never played before, and it is awesome. It may be one of my favorite experiences of this, that, and Portal. Portal's incredible. Mirror's Edge. Mirror's Edge runs with all the effects turned up at the highest frame rate. Uh, Tomb Raider is an interesting one. That one was also affected by the update, and keep in mind that a lot of these games are Proton games, so they're not native to Linux, which is the layer that these games are running on, they're, they're Proton translated, so they're Windows games that are translated by this translation layer, kind of emulation layer called Proton, so you're not getting 100%. Proton is really efficient. You're probably getting, I don't know, 90% efficiency, but all the Proton games I've played so far are stable. Like, early on, I installed Bioshock Infinite, and that crashed after a night, and I'm sure if I reinstalled it, it would be fine, but for the most part, my experience has been super stable. Prototype 2? Prototype 2 is great. Super stable. So, yeah, I've had a really good time with this, and with that, it fills that niche that was missing, which is console gaming on this laptop. The third thing is media editing. So, I've been using Audacity, which works pretty well, along with Lexus Audio, which is an Android app that I'm, I've been using for years, and that also works pretty well. So, Audacity, as a Linux application with Lexus Audio, has been a fine combination for audio editing, but for video 
my mobile app of choice, which I would be using as my default Chromebook app, PowerDirector, does not support x86 fully. So it's, it's programmed for ARM. There's an x86 SKU. It does not fully support x86. So it can't render at uh, 4K. It can't edit uh, multiple tracks. And so it's not, it's not the equal of the mobile uh, application. I've tried some Linux-based media editors, but they weren't stable. And they just... I didn't like their, their interface either. Enter LumaFusion. That's right, iOS's LumaFusion. I guess they cut some kind of deal with Google because they made a Chromebook SKU of LumaFusion. That's in beta 2, but uh, what I've tested of it, it works really well. I have a massive project planned for some point, so we'll get to really put it through its, pace, put it through its paces at some point. But uh, immediately, uh, I like it a lot. And it's not a licensed game. You just buy it. Or it's not a licensed app. You just buy it, which makes... All the difference in the world for me. I am loving that. So yeah, uh, with those three things, uh, Chrome OS becomes a full-featured center OS for my home uh, environment. I can do everything that I need to do on the Chromebook. And I can play <laughs> the games that I'd like to play. Or even better, the Android games that I play on my phone, I can then go and pick them up on the Chromebook. Because they both come from the Play Store. Yeah, that stuff is nifty. It tickles me. The other thing I wanted to talk about here is I didn't really review the Pixel 7. Uh, I upgraded to the Pixel 7 in October, and I gave my son my Pixel 6. The experience isn't wildly different, but the thing that I thought I was buying it for was a better front-facing camera so I could make content with a better front-facing camera. And the front-facing camera is better, but not so much so that I'm like, oh, this is awesome. But what is better is the two-time zoom. So when framing a shot, you can use the wide camera to get a wider field of view. You can use the regular wide camera for most of your normal shots. And then to punch in, in previous generations of phones that only had a main lens and no telephoto lens, you just crop the image and lose detail from that crop. So what Apple did for their Pro devices and Google did for both the seven devices this year is to institute a sensor crop where the center... 12.5 megapixels of, of, of sensor are demosaic because both of the, uh, the iPhone 14 Pro and the Pixel 7 and 7 Pro have 48 and 50 megapixel sensors respectively, but not really because the pixels are binned on those sensors, which means that the four pixels that are in a given area are kind of treated like one big pixel. And for Google Sensor, that's a fixed bin. It's a 50 megapixel sensor, the same one as last year. And you can't remosaic the the colors of those pixels, like uh, digital phosphors, the colors of those pixels to get a 50 megapixel image. Or that's how it was. But now uh, you can, evidently. Now it's a situation where uh, for the, that center... And it's the same sensor, so I don't know how they're doing this, but for that center 12.5 megapixels of individual pixels, they demosaic those, creating a 12.5 megapixel sensor, which is the same as the same output as the 50 megapixel sensor, 12.5 megapixels, but they demosaic those individual pixels so they show up as smaller individual pixels for zooming. So it's functionally a lossless zoom. In practice, it's not truly lossless. It's still a little bit softer than a full frame, a full sensor image. But it is much sharper than the sensor crop. 
that's actually the first thing I tested when I got the Pixel 7 versus the Pixel 6 to see if that actually worked, and it did. It gives a lot more detail. And so you basically have so much more versatility with just the two lenses. You can go wide. You can go... Actually, I guess the wide one is known as ultra-wide or super-wide. The regular sensor is wide. And then the telephoto, or the two times in this case, the sensor crop is a little bit narrower, but it, it focuses farther away. You get a different focal length. So you get three different focal lengths at full quality without having to move. That's versatility. And it's very cool. And if you crop all the way in, then the Super Res Zoom algorithms kick in, and they are incredible, actually. Uh, I've never, like, Super Res Zoom was always cool, but I was never hugely impressed. Like, oh my god, I could actually use this picture with it before. But now, some of those Super Res Zoom shots in broad daylight, basically the AI draws an image. It takes the, da the data that it has, and it finishes the image with the AI. But it does a really good job. Like, the shot soft, of course, but even at full crop, it resolves detail that's just not there, and it's amazing. It's not the same as a physical or an optical sensor at whatever the focal length is you're trying to achieve, but it's still really impressive. Would I rather have a pro? Yes, but that's $300 more. I feel justified in getting the 7. Otherwise, awesome experience all around. It's solid. It, Like I said, it's not terribly different than the Pixel 6. Uh, it runs a little cooler, doesn't get hot as often, and uh, the battery life is about the same because the battery's smaller than the 6s was, so it, it's kind of a wash. But overall, just an incredible experience. All around, like I talked a lot about the cameras because that's the thing that might be a little bit different. Everything else is very much the same, and I enjoyed it last year once it became stable. The Pixel 7 was out-of-the-box stable, which is nice. Like, it is... <laughs> it's sweeping the Phone of the Year awards from everybody. I agree, it's the Phone of the Year. The other thing as related to that is that I had heard that the recording app on this is amazing. So that's what I'm using for this episode. I'm using the recording application that is the default Google recorder that's on the Pixel 7. Uh, you can break out uh, audio for, or it can break out text for you of your audio or transcript. It's what the word I'm looking for. I guess I'm tired or something, but it'll break out a transcript for you of your audio. And it's flawless because that's one of the things that the AI on this phone does. And so I am using that to test for this episode. We'll see how it sounds. I've already tested it once because I already recorded this episode once, and it sounds really good. Not as good as my regular microphone, but better than the headset that I try to use sometimes. This may be a good option for me from time to time. That's all I'm saying, and that is that. I guess it is almost New Year. Like, we're about two and a half hours away as of this recording. I'm trying to edit this and release it before midnight, so we'll see. But regardless, Happy New Year. And rest assured, there will be more content in the coming year on this network, on Smack My Pitch Up from the Geeks Under the Influence podcast network, the other podcast I do. So hopefully you'll be along for the ride. Uh, happy 2023, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.